You're listening to the Forging Fury podcast, a show dedicated to bettering lives through fitness, nutrition, and inspiring stories from athletes of every stripe. What's up, sweet people? This is Coach Riley. You are listening to the Forging Fury podcast, and today I am riding solo. I'm without my boy, Michael Gray, aka Miguel Grease, uh, but I'm also here with my good friend, Priscilla Tallman. What is up, P? Hey, what's up? I feel like this has been a long time coming. Like, we've talked about this for a while. Yeah. And you've even, I think you kind of cultivated this idea for this podcast just because kind of the, some conversations we've had. So, could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, if you don't know, Priscilla's kind of a big deal. I don't think she'd ever tell you, but like, I think she's really, really cool. She's got some, uh, some cool stories and some cool, uh, things about her that I think she needs to share with everyone. So, just, P, give us like a brief, like, synopsis of like your whole life. In- okay. <laughs> And I got to correct you. If I was in my 20s, I told everybody how oh, yeah? big of a deal I was. Oh, Absolutely. Wow. So you've come oh, yeah. A long way. Come a long way. Well, you Anybody still who knows are a big me. deal. So I think, at least. Um, so my name is Priscilla Tallman, and um, I am married to Rich Tallman. That's my husband. Rich, the I man. Know. I love Rich, Rich. actually. <laughs> I have two kids, uh, Joaquin and Lincoln, 11 and 8, and um, been at Fury for. Goodness, seven years, going on eight. Long time. Yeah, long time. I played collegiate volleyball at the University of Georgia, the best institution mm, in the Southeastern Conference. I have to hard disagree here. And this is the beginning <laughs> yes. of me and P's great friendship. <laughs> yes. I'm a huge University of Florida fan, and she is a actually a yes. Hall of Famer at the University of Georgia. Yes. So, you know, we go back and forth. That's you know, she, she can't be perfect. That's right. <laughs> um, I At the University of Georgia, I um, became a two-time... All-American first team in the sport of volleyball. I was the freshman of the year for the (laughs) SEC conference. And my senior year, I was uh, the, what do they call that? (laughs) It's not not most valuable player. It's like, whatever. Um, Basically the MVP of the SEC in my senior year. And then about 10 years after I graduated, they inducted me into their uh, circle of honor at the University of Georgia along with some other really amazing This was pretty recent Georgia though, wasn't it? Um, I mean, kind of, 2006. Okay, that's so, pretty, still pretty recent. Yeah. That's pretty um, cool. Who was on the, like, on the ballot the year that you went in? So the year I went in, I have Zeke Bratkowski, um, LA Rams and Packers player and coach. I have Heather Stepp, who is a phenomenal gymnast, and now she is, I believe, in operations for the gymnastics team at Georgia. Wow. I had uh, Dick Kopas, who was the um, golf coach for many, many years. Um. Oh goodness, a tennis player, George Bezekny. Oh wow, it's like a like a yeah. club of sorts. You guys remember? Yeah, each it's other. pretty. It's pretty cool because yeah. like Fran Tarkenton's in there. The only people who don't like you have to have this certain criteria to to qualify mm. for it. You have to have graduated. So there's a ton of football players who don't just so are never going to be eligible. They're never going to be That's eligible. Cool. Unless, so go all four years. Yes, unless That's they come cool. back and get their degree. So yeah. like I my my dream is for Herschel Walker to finish <laughs> his degree, so I can go and because I get invited back every year, so I can yeah. go and see his induction because. Mm. Although he has a bajillion other inductions, like so, I want to be there. <laughs> like me and P uh, first kind of bonded because we're both from the South. Like, well, she's kind of from Texas and, and spending a good time in Georgia. So she knows what like the Southern people like. I think she's in touch with Southern culture. So for <laughs> me, it was like meeting someone that was like, oh, I, I understand you. And we kind of get each other. There's people out West. They don't really you know, care about college football or like even 
I would say some athletics here on the West Coast are not like the same people follow on the East Coast. So for me, it was like, oh, someone that cares about college football. Like we yes. went back and forth and we we're talking college football. But for people that don't follow college football or even college athletics, University of Georgia is a pristine university, like one of the best in the country. There's no doubt. And that hurts me to say, but it is very true. Like the laundry list of great athletes that's come out of there is is unreal. But yeah, so we've got a Hall of Famer amongst us. Don't don't ever trip on that. That is a big deal. Um, so P you tell me about, tell me about Georgia. Like how was that being an athlete kind of being like going through that experience or maybe even give me like late high school kind of recruitment into, into college. Like I didn't get to experience a big time uh, recruitment, AKA still waiting on my offers for all the D1 universities. That's right. <laughs> you might be out of uh, eligibility years. Yes. Um, so that's actually a pretty cool question because the recruiting game has changed so much since I was there. I remember sitting at the table with my dad, with all of these recruiting but like books are not even recruiting books. They were college books. They were like volumes and volumes of every single university in the United States. And we would go through those to see what they, their strengths were in academics, what their strengths were in sports, anything city wise, local wise. Like we didn't have Instagram. We didn't have YouTube. We didn't have any of this stuff to look <laughs> it up and figure out what, what we want to do. So really it was kind of a, a very blind process and um, kids now they go on their unofficial visits, they can just, you know, hop in these places. I actually waited till I have had all five of my official visits, which was my going into my senior year. Um, Where'd you visit? I visited, uh, you'll be happy to hear this, Tennessee. Oh God, no. Kentucky. <laughs> oh wow. Georgia, University of Houston, which was just kind of to fill the five. I mm -hmm. wasn't really interested in them. And then, um, Illinois state. Wow. And so I had, I had wanted to leave the state. Yeah. I wanted, I, um, I really wanted to leave the state. So that was the Houston was kind of like, we just did it. Cause I had another visit and you were playing but in Texas. I was playing yeah, in Texas. Yeah, that's yeah, where yeah, high in Texas. Okay. yeah. So sports was already kind of a big deal in Texas. Texas it wasn't like, is all, all they got yeah. really. I mean, I mean, they, in every sport, they're usually a recruiting hub for everything. So, yeah. Well, yeah. The, the cool thing I, I was telling my husband this this morning was actually like how good of a choice I made without taking any unofficial visits. And without having Instagram, Twitter, and mm. Facebook, I made I made a perfect decision. So you did your homework though, like from what yes. I saying, you and your dad sat down and yes. like you did some work. We did work. My dad made me do work. Good. Like we had to do that. He's like, you are going to research this stuff. You're going to look at you know. And I think sometimes you in this recruiting process, there's a lot of kids who go places and it's not quite the right fit. Mm. But that's just because they visit the campus and they're like wowed by everything. When I finally got to step foot on Georgia's campus my mind was completely Athens. blown. Yeah, Athens, Georgia. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And I think everything from the flat pages of these like sad little books mm. at, at my table came to life. And that was like so amazing. Did you like in that book or whatever you and your dad were doing, did you look at university of Georgia? Oh like, yeah. Okay. He knew it was a good fit because I grew up in Austin, Texas mm -hmm. and Austin is obviously big music city, South by Southwest, Austin mm. city limits, all this kind of cool stuff. The vibe of the cities were very similar. So he's like, I think you want to check this out. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I haven't, made it to, I haven't been to Austin yet. So I think I oh, it's travel. amazing. Yeah. Great city. Um, so yeah. So you come about what, like, what were the deciding factors on like going to Georgia, like picking the university of Georgia? Uh, I literally, they took me to North campus, which is where all these like old historical buildings are. And, um, after I'd seen them practice, I'd seen them play, I'd hung out with the team and they take me to North campus. And I literally just, am like, this is it. I knew yeah. it. And that was my first recruiting trip. I still had four more oh, to go. Oh, wow. So you picked the winner first go. I sort of knew it. And then I'm like, my dad's like, you, can't, you have to keep going. So I had to keep going to the rest of them. But um, how was Knoxville? Did you, did you enjoy that just a little bit? That orange, <laughs> just, we can agree on that. That orange yeah, is I just didn't so ugly. enjoy it even a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm not gonna lie. I did enjoy. I did enjoy Kentucky a little bit. Mm, Lexington, but, been there yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, I did not enjoy Tennessee. I don't think. <laughs> it's hard. Think Hopefully, you don't have any University of Tennessee <laughs> yeah. fans out there. But know, it's well, the worst you know. color orange I can imagine. <laughs> and when I hear Rocky Top, I uh, cry a little bit. Too funny. Yes. Yeah, so okay, cool. So you knew it was Georgia, and then you get on campus freshman year. Tell me, like, tell me how that kind of process went. Um, it, it was good. I think being a student athlete is such a huge, um, a huge privilege. I think people forget, like how hard it is to make that transition year. Like if you don't know friends or you don't have friends somewhere and you're going out of state, when you're on a team, you immediately have this support group of people that are there to help you succeed. So people who are from academic advisors to trainers, to coaches, to uh, the people in the dining hall, everybody's there kind of set up to help you succeed. And so I feel like that is the biggest thing you show up and you're not like just, I was still pretty green. Uh, My freshman year, I was 17. So I graduated high school when I was 16. So it was, it was definitely a culture shock, yeah, but culture shock, it comes along say. pretty well because I mean, you're already, you're immediately attached to a schedule. Like you have to be somewhere. There's a lot of structure. Yeah. So, so that was, I think a, a benefit, especially for me. So, and you yeah. were probably, I mean, you, if you're getting that highly recruited out of high school, you were probably already a professional athlete in high school. Uh, like, no, no, no. <laughs> no. So it got a little bit more intense it, as you went to absolutely. college. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It gets well, a lot more intense. Well, well, nowadays, like, I mean, my little brother, he's playing, like he's got something for year round of like. It's kind of changed. Yes. Would you agree that? Well, like, no, I played year round. So I did, okay. I played all the time. We, I, my mom and dad had me in uh, physical therapy. I was doing not necessarily Olympic lifting, but I had been doing lifting and um, strength and conditioning all through high school. So I wasn't like, you know, didn't know how to do stuff mm. when I got there, but um, you know, it, it is definitely still a big jump definitely. from uh, your bodies aren't fully developed. Again, I was 17, 17. so that was different, <laughs> but um, your bodies aren't fully developed. The, the structure of everything is different. So mm. you have like, five or six different people that need your time Mm. every day. And so it's a matter of being able to make decisions on, um, you know, where to be, when to be, you know, how to be on time. It's, it's time management skills. There's so many things that you don't necessarily have to do in high school. Some kids do because their families are set up like that, but um, you, you don't always have to do that. And when you're in this structured environment where everybody's telling you where to be, you have to pick from the top six people. Like, mm. okay, which one do I have to do right now? Did they you all, struggle with that at first here. or was it like something that came kind of natural or um, it, I, I feel like it would be a rough kind of transition for it, anyone. It is because again, you're, you're figuring out your time, you know, mm. you're in class for four hours, let's say, or whatever. And then you have nothing else for us today and you've got to figure out, <laughs> well, you have practice, you have your lift, but you have nothing like you have to, don't have to be like in a class. You have like a lot of downtime. That's not necessarily like in the right places, like an hour in between lift and an hour, you know, between lift and practice, or you have an hour between when you have to start studying and you have to figure out where your, that's what I think. I wasn't a huge, I wasn't a D one athlete or I wasn't a big athlete, but I mean, in college, that's, that's the main skill I came out of college with is how to manage my time. Mm -hmm. When I, when I need to know when I need to get stuff done so I can have fun or like get this done now. So you don't have to do it later. Like that skill is like way more important than the piece of paper you get at the end of the year. I think. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. it was, and it was a process for me Yeah. because back in the day, if you guys don't really, um, you don't, you wouldn't know now, but I like to get down. I like, oh, I, I had a little partying stage through college and like to go down to five points in Columbia, South Carolina. Shout out to all the Gamecocks out there um, and drink a little bit and have a good time and then have to go to an 8am class. So you can see how those worlds would collide and be difficult for someone that didn't have that many responsibilities. Like right. I was working, but I wasn't like having to practice, having to lift and having like all these different things. Like that was something just a normal person was dealing with. So yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Cause like, uh, I have a friend who asked me, they're like, do you, cause these kids are so smart. Like nowadays these kids are getting a 4.0 
and they're playing college sports Mm -hmm. and they're lifting and they're doing physical therapy and they're recovering and they're doing all these things. And somebody had asked me like, were you a good student? (laughs) And I, I, my, my standard answer is that I went to college to hit volleyballs. Totally. I did whatever it took to keep me on the court to hit volleyballs. That's what you had to do. I did not have a 4.0. Well, I will say that there were some of those (laughs) athletes on the D1 teams at the University of South Carolina that were in those bars, but I won't drop any names, but... (laughs) They may have been in there. They they like to have a good time too. They did, yes. (laughs) They were, I mean, even if they could do that, like I'm impressed, like whatever, you deserve it if you can do all that and have a good time. Yeah. Yeah, so... Georgia, University of Georgia, golly. So uh, what's the like biggest wins? Like what are like some games that like kind of just jump off the page and like uh, you re- you can relive like big games during your four-year career at University of Georgia? Uh, one, uh, the, one of the ones I relive over and over that I cannot let go is the oh, time. It's funny how you remember <laughs> the, the bad ones initially. Like, why do you, the, yes. I see, I can see that. I saw that happening already. They, You're like, <laughs> you went to the worst case scenario instead of the best case scenario. Yeah. They always involve the University of Florida. Oh, wow. Yes. I know. <laughs> what, you know, one at home when we lost and five and we should have won. Literally, mm. I can't. It's a big rivalry details. for people that don't Yeah, know. big, huge yeah, rivalry. Yeah. And then uh, the other one I remember just like so vivid in my mind is they had their Midnight Madness. So mm. the, the night that basketball teams kind of like preview or oh, yeah. premiere their teams, whatever, they had the Midnight Madness. And so they packed the gym. They had everybody from Midnight Madness come to our match. Oh, wow. That was televised on ESPN. Perfect. At like <laughs> seven o'clock. So we had, I don't even know the number. It's like 8,200 people in whatever that arena is. The O-Dome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the O'Connell played, Center, was it, was it there? I don't even oh, yeah. know. But it's funny because I was watching a game this year and uh, they're like, this is the second highest number of attendance. It was in the 7,000s. And I was like, oh yeah, I was I, at the one with there. the largest attendance. I know because I was yes, there. Yes, I know. I think I put that on Twitter or something because yes. I was like, let me tell you, it was yeah. it was rough. I can imagine. Yeah, Are they really relatively close to the court or like? They're, for the most part, yeah. 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 That's what's crazy about like Cameron Indoor, like those any, big, any of those big college Insane. stadiums, like those, those courts, like mm-hmm. the fans get super, super close. Like I always see it and I'm like, oh, I couldn't, I don't know. How do you turn that off? Yeah. I've played in Cameron too. So that, but that's cool. That's you a played good, in really, Cameron. I did. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a good segue to, um, that's a good segue to the mental health stuff and the mindset kind yeah. of thing, because that is such a huge piece on being able to turn that sound of 82,000 people down. Yeah. Because if you scoot back into like the service line, there's just people right there. Breathing on your neck. They are not saying nice <laughs> yeah, things to you. Yeah, letting you know how they feel about you. <laughs> they let you know about how big you are or how not big you are or what you wow. look like, what and your hair looks like. It's like, funny how they yeah. feel secure on the sidelines. They, they feel can so feel like, good in there eating a the hot dog. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're like, yeah, I'm so, <laughs> look you can't do me. anything now. You're too big. Yeah. You know, they eat the hot dog, but you know, that is... That, <laughs> <laughs> Popcorn and soda in hand. You know, jean shorts yeah. and hot dog. Hold on now. Hey, wait, that was Florida joke. <laughs> Yeah. But, um, okay. So you, and, and what I want to revisit and go back is like, okay. you, you, we heard you list this long illustrious awards. And then like, I asked you like a memorable game. You're like, Oh, when we lost that one time, like, yes, yeah, it's like, it's funny how we remember the losses more yes. than the wins. It sounded like you were pretty damn successful in your volleyball career. But like, I can tell you the same thing. Like, I mean, games in high school, like, you know, that, that moment or that loss, that was just so tough. Like that sticks with you way more than any wins, which is wild. Why do you think that? Uh, I think that we, in, in, in terms of like being athletes, like we hang on to the stuff we wish like we could have fixed in the moment. Like there's games I have as a coach 
um, I coach, you know, college now and I coach high school. There's games that I, I literally for like six months after we've lost to somebody, I will wake up at two in the morning, like, oh, we should have put so-and-so there. And mm-hmm. that should have been like the change, whatnot. So, I mean, I'm not sure like any science or stuff behind it, but I just think we hang on to that stuff because it's the, it's, we can't fix it. It's, I can even it's gone. <laughs> like bring it back to like middle school basketball, like game winning shot. They run the play. Like they have set up for me to come off the screen, catch the ball and shoot the ball. Game winner, opportunity, balls in my oh, hand, man. shoot the shot, miss it, and just crumble to the floor. Like yes. in, in eighth grade, I was just getting chills thinking about oh, it. Oh my weird. goodness. But yeah, middle school, even far as middle school, like we yep. remember, we hold on to that. That's right. So, yeah. So we always remember that. But okay, it's memorable moments at Georgia. Okay, after college, what happens? Like, so we finish volleyball. Do you yep. say, I'm done with volleyball, or is this, is this, you try to uh, so, continue your career. Yeah, I tried to continue a little bit. I actually had, um, at the time, I'd had a sports agent and I had played a couple of tours with the national team. And I had played in this thing called World University Games. So it's set up, we were in Japan, and it's just set up similar to the Olympics. So you have every country's represented and you play. Well, I didn't have a very good outing. I didn't play very much um, at that tournament. So it kind of like sent me to a different place in professional sport. So I ended up playing in Switzerland, which isn't super high. That's pretty cool. It was, it was amazing. Um, but so I played in Switzerland for one season. And, um, then after that I came home and was going to try to play again. I had a tryout for a team in Brazil or team in, um, there was two teams. One was Brazil. It was two South American teams. I can't remember the other one. Mm. And, um, Oh, Puerto Rico, I think. Puerto Rico. That would have been nice. That was scary for me though. I don't know if I could hang Puerto Rico. Well, Brazil yeah. probably a little bit scary. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I couldn't hang any of those. Maybe it was a good thing I hurt my knee. So I ended up hurting my knee. Oh, wow. I didn't rehab well. And then I was kind of like uh, instructed uh, by my agent to start playing beach. He uh-huh. said, just go do this while you're rehabbing, while you're getting better. We'll try to figure out what the next step is. And the next step for me was sitting in a desk and having a job because at some point, if you don't have money coming in, and you don't have uh, that that you know income that you can spend to train. You have to work, and so I tried to train and I tried to work, but honestly, it is very difficult. So you look at these like you know not not a football or basketball or big money big even name soccer sports now. even yeah. soccer, and you look at something like a beach volleyball, and it's it's really difficult to pursue a professional career if oh, yeah. you don't have sponsors. There's a small handful and, that are like t- taken care of. And after that, it's like you're on your own. Yeah. And it's do it's very doable. Mm. It's very doable. You could like coach club and you can, you know, train when you can train and blah, blah, blah. But that that's kind of became the end of my, mm. um, would you say a part of your career. like identity was tied to being an athlete a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. How was, tell yeah. me about that and kind of how you like disassociated and went from mm-hmm. a full-time athlete to a full-time you had a job? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Tell me about that process. So initially, um, I coached at Long Beach State and I'd worked at a bagel shop. What is their mascot? Oh my gosh. Did you see that? It's a 49er, but they just changed it to sharks. Oh, so why the change? Um, Apparently the 49ers, (laughs) there's something political or something. Okay. Yeah. Disconnecting from that. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So they're the sharks now. So now the sharks. I actually have a buddy that graduated from Long Beach State. It's just, yeah. Yeah. That's where, that's where my husband went. So, okay. so I went, I went to, to, um, coach as a volunteer assistant. So again, I still had to be working, uh, worked at a bagel shop, did the grind, got there at 4am. Nice, a bagel shop. That was so good. <laughs> that was a great job. Um, not really. My, Full of smells. No, my, my manager was like 18 years old. It was terrible. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. So then I just started the working world and I realized the bagel shop wasn't going to last forever. So I, uh, found, uh, regular jobs and athletes pretty much. If you have any kind of like 
motivation or passion or drive, you, you can thrive in the working world because you just keep progressing. And kind of like you were saying, like, why do we dwell on that old stuff? Like we, we dwell on it because we're, you know, wanting to pursue what the next thing is. And so internal motivation. Yeah. So that's kind of how I was. I just found different jobs that worked. And finally I I kind of settled into like, I think it was commercial, commercial real estate. I worked for a broker. Nice. Um, Put together marketing packets, blah, blah, blah. Boring. This is the most boring part of my whole life. <laughs> yeah, Sitting really? in a cubicle. Would you say that? I would absolutely say yeah. that. It was so hard for me, I think, as an athlete, because I wasn't getting all that physical touch. Mm-hmm. I wasn't getting all of that, like, um, expressing. You can't be a big jerk <laughs> in an office. You yeah. can. You can. You could be. Yeah. You could but, be. but it was really difficult. Like, I think sometimes it's socially and culturally acceptable for athletes to be a jerk on the court yeah, it's or okay. express that, almost, you know, aggression. It only is yeah. almost tied to all the sex, like successful athletes, mm-hmm. like being a jerk. Yeah. And <laughs> not, I wouldn't say necessarily jerk. It's just this expression of the natural, that natural, like who we are. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I found myself being very frustrated in these jobs, although I made a lot of good money. I mean, really good money. Mm-hmm. So that motivated me for a long time is, is how I made a ton of money. So I was able to like living by myself, living, living the by dream, the beach, yeah, living yeah, the yeah. dream, Sounds had a nice good. car, but shopping at great fill, places. in that cup. Wasn't filling that cup. Yeah. Yeah. That's so tough. I know really yeah. tough. So yeah, it, it, I, I've always like, I mean, I love my job and I love what I do now, but if I ever was to find another career, like would that career fill me as much as this does? Like I genuinely love coming here every day and like, oh, I know sure. that feeling and like, I don't know if anything else can like fulfill that. So I'll yeah. probably just do this forever. Yeah. Well, you know <laughs> what? Maybe not. Well, it's funny. Cause like, it took me a long time to realize like, I am not motivated by money. And it feels really, I feel really bad for my husband because he did, we met and I was actually making good money and I've become like the <laughs> wife who makes zero dollars. Okay. <laughs> but, um, I am just constantly finding the stuff that just fulfills me mm. in that way where it's a connection or communication or relationships or whatnot. And I just, I mean, money is awesome and you need money and you have to have it to do certain things, but yeah, I fall into that category as yeah, well. It's really hard. Yeah. yeah. I, I definitely don't do this for the money. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. But for sure. I don't like, I don't want things like I don't, I don't crave it. Like I don't crave like material things. Like I love, you know, give me a good pair of Nike shoes, but, um, yeah, I don't yeah. crave it. I like, I don't crave new car, new house, like things. Mm-hmm. I feel like that just kind of weighs me down a little bit, but yeah. So, okay. You were doing this job that you loved and you just obviously were aware that it wasn't filling your cup. What yep. was next? So after that, uh, dur- actually during kind of the, like, like the last couple of years, I really started to realize like, you phased this, out. I phased out the working world because I realized I went to get my master's in clinical psychology. Oh, wow. So I got my undergraduate degree from Georgia in psychology. And I got my master's from Vanguard university in clinical psychology. And it was just this, like, um, the conversations I was having and, um, the things that I was started very passionate about, I had always wanted to do something in sports psychology, uh, which was my, my basically my thought as soon as I graduated high school, I'm like, I want to go and do something with sports psychology Mm. because of my own personal experience with, um, being an athlete that there was parts that weren't awesome. And I wanted to be able to help kids kind of go through these transitions. That's really cool. Yeah. So then when I got to my master's, that was like my mission statement going in, like, I want to be in sports psychology. I want to help kids through these transitions. These are the things that are hard. Um, and then, uh, you know, shortly after I got my degree, I, I got married and then, um, Congratulations, yeah. Rich. <laughs> and then I worked in a clinic in a clinical setting. So I worked w- w- at a marriage and family therapist, um, marriage and family therapy counseling center. Worked a lot with couples. I had when you're a trainee. So I was a trainee. You get like the therapists who are getting paid the good money. Get the people who 
kind of have a little bit of their stuff together. Mm-hmm. The trainees get like <laughs> the, the, they straight up hot mess expresses. The hot <laughs> mess. Oh goodness. But you get a lot of really good training. Like yeah. you get you're getting you're ready like for everything after that. You're getting like everything. Yeah. And so um that was really good training. But then I discovered that towards the end of that, I'm like, man, I, I don't think I could do private practice. <laughs> I had like 15 hours a week of this yeah. stuff that was so heavy. Um, and it weighs on you a lot. I would think it, it weighs on you. Even, even though you say like, you got to separate it and you got to go home you and you got to leave it, you leave your work there. Mm. It's, um, it's really hard, especially someone who, like me who has like, you're, you're a helper. Oh and, yeah. You want to fix everything. You, and I, and I, it. I didn't, I knew I couldn't fix it at this, mm. at that time. Cause you, that's how you're trained. You're trained to know, but you're, you're not going to fix, you kind of guide them into what they need to do. But, um, that's what good coaches do. That's right. <laughs> you guide them to understand their own answers. But there was also, to me, there was this element of, um, the the initial reason I wasn't doing anymore. And athletes don't come to therapy. Mm. Athletes don't need help. Is that like a stigma you would say? Like I would say, yeah, yeah that's, that's a stigma. Yeah, yeah. Like you don't, we don't need those people. <laughs> yeah, no, we're good. I'm good. We're yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. We don't, we're good. I'm fine. It's yeah. all fine. I'm great. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. okay. it's not a big deal. Not <laughs> yeah. A big deal. So yeah. So that was, that was actually, um, I knew that like in the back of my mind, I never would have gotten the help. But then when I had a degree in this, I figured they'd all be like flocking to me to come yeah. get help, but they don't like athletes typically don't get help. So, um, I find myself with, you know, alcoholics and borderline personality disorder and teenagers and crazy stuff. And I'm just like, <laughs> I think I'm going to take a break from this. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And then so, you, and then you, so you're out, you, you phased out here and then like, then, then what? So after, um, after I got my master's and after I kind of was stopping working at, um, the clinic, or the counseling center. I I worked at Pottery Barn, which is my, literally my favorite You've job done ever. A lot of cool things. Dude, I've done like, a lot of cool yeah. things because I have to. I just I'm always I just I'm fascinated. Like by the Pottery Barn was amazing because like I would imagine so. that was even better than counseling the counseling center. <laughs> you <laughs> probably saw more problems at Pottery oh, Barn than you that did. That was the best thing ever. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh, you're hurting here. Come by these um, <laughs> by this table. This is actually where crazy people meet. <laughs> it makes you feel barn. really good yeah. when you buy this table. I'm just kidding. I did not do that Pottery <laughs> Barn. Um, sure. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So then I just started working there and then, um, as kind of like we were trying to figure ourselves out and rich and I, um, trying to, what we were going to do, what was next. And we actually ended up moving to Arizona in 07. 07. And so that's kind of, you know, where everything kind of began here. And I really do feel like when we came here, we had no family. Um, we didn't have any friends. We had like one set of friends, like two people we knew when we moved out here. And so we really began to define what we were about because we had to, like we had, we had nobody. I can totally relate yeah. to that. Like yes. when you do take that big step, it's like, okay, what, who, what are my like yes. morals and like, what do I want to live for? And what are those things? Like you got to answer some questions when you kind of yes. retreat from family and friends and like kind of that safety net. Well, and it's crazy because you really get to, you begin to really answer those questions because there's no more noise. Mm. And when you're not, not to like say anything bad about our families, but when you're around those other systems, you really are like, you take on those systems, you take on what they're about, what they're like, you take on their values because you guys are always together and we're always doing things together. And when we were kind of like in no man's land, we always call it just, we just came out to the desert to wander. (laughs) When we got here, it was really like, okay, we got nothing. We're not, we're not bouncing off anybody. We have to figure this out. So it's, it's actually been pretty amazing. We have gotten like grown way closer as you know, in our marriage, we've been able to raise our kids a certain way without the noise. Um, it's, it's actually been an amazing, almost 13 years wow. for us. Yeah. I respect that. I think that's a huge jump yeah. and people like some people never take that jump. Mm-mm. Like some people just love like 
I mean, we can talk about comfort zone. That's like a, <laughs> like a buzzword, but like yeah. that, that network and that, like the, it takes people like a long time to kind of make that social network and family like that, that network and those relationships, like that gives you like so much like things to rely on and like be comfortable. Like those, like my mom, like you get me around my mom, I get so comfortable. Like yes. my family, I'm comfortable. Like, <laughs> yep. and that's just like being around it for 12 hours. Like I was, you know, lived like you know, around my mother my whole life. And it was cool to come out here and not, I mean, not have her. I love her to death, but yep. like I've had to answer a lot of questions that have arisen since then. So I don't think I ever would have gotten to that as fast or like I'm still working on it, but like I wouldn't have been able to dive in by always staying there. Right. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. hundred percent. Yeah. And I've always kind of been like a person who's like a little bit restless. I don't know. We talked about this a little bit on Friday, Thursday. Probably. We're always talking about something. Oh, over, you know, a nice, easy <laughs> air bite conversation. <laughs> well, I always try to talk to Priscilla and she's like, <gasps> yeah, da, 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 da. yeah, I'm actually, I'm actually all right with taking breaks during, <laughs> during the air bike. But, yeah. um, anyway, yeah, I think sometimes that too, is I've, I've kind of always been like this a little bit of like three years. I start getting like itchy. Like I got, I got to go. I got to get mm, out of here. Totally I want to create something relate. new. And, um, it's funny because we had like a five-year plan to be in Arizona. This is the longest I think I've been anywhere except California. Mm. So California was 15 years. This is 13. And uh, wow. yeah, I know. 13 years later, you said? This is 13. 13, wow. Yeah, So Priscilla, tell me you went, you go from like collegiate stud athlete, professional volleyball player in Switzerland. Uh, we went from real world job. We went to Pottery Barn. We've, yeah. we've made a, a the tons bagel of- shop. We've The bagel shop. We've covered a lot of ground. Yeah, we've covered like, a lot of ground. Yes. But at some point you got into coaching. Yes. And you've gotten into what you're doing now. Like, yep. Tell us more about what's going on in Priscilla's life now. Okay. So when we moved out here, I didn't have, um, I had actually tried to be, be a, finish my hours, my clinical hours for my licensure so I could be licensed. Um, the state of California has a different licensure track than the state of Arizona. So it was actually going to be a little bit different and a little bit harder for me to get my hours here because we didn't have Arizona at the time did not have an, this is all crazy letters, but MFT track. Whoa. I know a marriage and family therapy, but mm-hmm. whatever. So when, uh, I realized that wasn't going to be the deal. I wasn't going to do that. Um, then I just, we, I, we just decided we were going to, I was going to stay home and I was pregnant at the time. So we were just going to raise our kids. So during the time from moving here and coaching, I basically just did everything I could do to keep myself, um, kind of not necessarily busy. I, I wrote, started writing. I'd been writing, um, a little bit before, for like a fashion magazine from a friend that I knew. Fashion. Fashion. The fashion. I wasn't the last person. Really? <laughs> it wasn't, I didn't write fashion. I wrote, I wrote, um, um, psychology stuff. So like oh, okay. pop psychology stuff okay. about I like, like, I can't really see you yeah. doing a big fashion. No, I wrote like, I'm a, not saying you're not fashionable, <laughs> but like, I, I wouldn't yeah. know much about, Yoga pants about fashion. And tank tops exactly. is not fashion. Only stretchy pants. Yes. <laughs> stretchy pants only. It's the wave of the future. <laughs> exactly. No, I did like random stuff. Like I did an article on like at the time, like Britney Spears and Nicole Richie and Paris Hilton were all a hot mess. And I wrote on like why they're that way and like psychology <laughs> so, stuff. And so like you're doing a little yeah, digging. Doing a little stuff. So yeah. um did that and then continued to write when I was here, had my kids. Um I had gone through postpartum depression. I think I had told Michael this, and with my son, and that was rough. That yeah. was really, really like the roughest thing in the world. Because first of all, athletes don't need help. Of that's course, number one. It's not a big deal. <laughs> and also, uh, I have two degrees in psychology, so that won't happen to me. Of course. It, was, it could never happen to you. I'm safeguarded. Yeah. Because not only am I really smart, but I also was an athlete, <laughs> yeah, right? Totally. 
would never. So that actually floored our entire system mm. when we first moved out here. And uh, Rich was like, what the heck is happening to my wife? She used to be capable. Now she's in a puddle on the floor and she's not taking a shower. Like she, we got it. We have this baby. Like it was, it was really, really hard. Yeah. And so during that time, it really helped us define things. Like I, he, first of all, he drove me to the behavioral unit at Thunderbird, wow. Thunderbird hospital. Yeah. And because I was like, dude, this, I'm not right. Like yeah, I'm not right. Was wrong. Take me. So my yeah. mom, I think my mom came out or somebody watched Joaquin or I can't, I can't remember like the, it's kind of fuzzy there, but, um, we, we went and then when I was there, the doctor was amazing. He was like, you're going to be fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was in there with like crazy people. Yeah. Like people have spiders. Yeah. There's people that had spiders coming out of their face. <laughs> there was uh, this, I remember this kid named Michael who was coming off meth. Like oh, wow. this place was, and you're like, n- uh, I'm one yeah. of these like things done. Well, no, I don't belong. The, but, but this was the beautiful thing. The beautiful thing about that is I realized I'm just like these people. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a drug addict, but like we're all connected by our humanness and there ain't not one mm. of us that is perfect. Yes. And to realize Say it that for the people in the back, yes, nobody's perfect. Yes. So that was a, actually very beautiful. Cause it was kind of the undoing of all of my thinking. I had control. It was the undoing of like, you know, rich and I thinking we could just kind of pull up our bootstraps and figure this stuff out. Like toughen up, you know, mm-hmm. like, get it together. Like, yeah. yeah. And then so because of that experience, I really began more so being passionate about what I wanted to help with athletes because now I'm like, dude, this is real life. Well, yeah. Experience teaches it's wisdom. Not, yeah. It's not just transitioning from like athlete to getting a desk job. It's like, dude, this is, this is, we, we think we can handle everything and we cannot. And so that was the beginning of all of those things and those um, ideas where I'm like, I need, I want to help kids. I want to help mm-hmm. kids before they get to the place where they're graduating college. Like how can I help younger and younger kids? Kind of so. Disrupting the patterns, like disrupting the mm-hmm. kind of the, the, way the current that the, yes. you know the kids are on. Yes. And I, and I love that word patterns because, um, that is exactly like my world. I see patterns really easily. I don't know why that's just, just one of my special. Well, probably because gifts. you watch like, I mean, it's just from athletic <laughs> yeah. backgrounds, like your brain, like chunk is inf- chunks mm-hmm. of information and those type of patterns, like make you a good athlete. Yeah. That's well, t- and you, and you can start seeing them, not like kids, you don't want to put a kid in a bucket, but you can start to see the kind of kids that you're like, you know, get that kid from telling herself that she's not worth it Mm. or get her from like hanging her head after she makes a mistake. And, and, you know, I am the queen of uh, negative self-talk from being in youth sports and then through college, beat myself up over mistakes, beat myself up over decisions I made. And I think that's the toxic stuff that gets Mm. all of this, you know, where we, this idea that we're perfect. And suddenly you find yourself, yeah, yeah, I've got a lot of degrees. I've got a lot of awards and I'm sitting in the same place mm. as Michael, the drug addict yeah. what is that stuff? Yeah. coming off meth yeah. and we're the same. And so totally. I think sometimes it's just welcome to the human race. And yeah. that's what I want to help these kids understand. Like, yeah. So what, you know, I think that's really cool. So yeah. what kind of advice would you give to like, like what, what, what do you say would your biggest message be to like the athlete that's coming up now? Like the high school athlete that's coming up, like what's the best advice you could give them? Uh, I think the biggest thing, especially with this current generation, is that you you cannot do it all. You can't. And I feel like, again, like I was saying earlier, these kids are 4.0. They're scholar athletes. They have all this amazing stuff going on. And there's a perception that they can do it all. And at some point, it's it's all going to come undone. And we have a thing called FOMO. If you don't know, fear of missing out. I know. If we that's can't that's do this all. generation. <laughs> yeah. well, and that's, that's the funny part is like when people say, were you a good student? And I'm like, 
Not really. I went to school to hit volleyballs. Mm. My decision, my choice was I wanted awards in sports. Mm. I did not need an academic award. That was not what I was after. <laughs> yeah. But kids stay in school. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Stay in school. You know. <laughs> no, but I think that's the thing is there's this, this misconception that you can do everything and you can for a little bit. But really, that shit wears on you though. It, it isn't sustainable. Mm. And so I think that's the big thing for these young kids, especially this generation of sports is like, dude, we can't do it all. It's okay if you don't. It's okay if you get a B. It's okay if you lost a game. It's okay mm. if you make a mistake. It's okay if you didn't make all state, whatever you're looking for. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and we're all human. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be okay. I think like building a resilient athlete is kind of like, I, I would think that you would want to kind of see success and failure in the same light and kind of take both and make like make good decisions based off that. Like being resilient, I think is what comes to my brain when I talk about like, especially my little brother, he's going through kind of like mm-hmm. what you, what you went through. Like he's getting to that upper, like close of his high school career, getting offers, like, and he might, everything might not go his way, but like whatever happens, like, I think that he'll, he's resilient enough to kind of press forward. Yeah. Like I, I it's, it's tough because I mean, he's like, we talked, we chatted about my little brother. I love him. So if, I don't know if you listen to this podcast, but if you do, I love you. <laughs> um, he's, he's a football player and he's now getting offers and we won't say from who, but he's like, he's on a team with two really good athletes. So one's getting a, like has a verbal offer from Georgia. One has a verbal from Clemson. So like two wow. like powerhouses in football. And now he's like, he's like feeling it. Like he's not worthy or like, mm. he's not Georgia or he's not Oklahoma or these big, like huge powerhouses that come after these two guys. And he's just like over here, like with the Kanye shrug, like right. wondering what's happening to yeah. him. But you know, like, what would you tell him? Uh, I think this is the beautiful thing because, um, I don't know if I talked about it in the intro, but I do coach college now and we've gotten to visit some really amazing schools. Um, I would really say that there's so much more than the iconic D1 athlete. Mm. Like there are some amazing D2 schools, D3. There are schools that are like your exact fit and um, everyone chases this D1 dream and not everybody makes not only the best decision, it's not the best fit. They end up coming home after their freshman year or get hurt and it doesn't work out. Um, or it's, they're just not as good as what it takes. There's so much, there's so much to do. There's so much information. There's so many protocols that you have to abide by in, in this, like, you know, this coveted D1 space. And as I really would just say, like, that's what you want. You're willing to put that work in. That's awesome. But there's also a, like so many other really good fits. Yeah for any kid. Well, like, you know, it's glorified now, like getting mm-hmm. those big D one schools and being in the top one fifty recruits. And like now these like different camps and like, if you don't get invited in this camp, like you're like, I feel like high school athletics and sports, like they've created these pedestals that these yep. boys and girls want to be on. And if they're not that, then you know, well, I'm not worthy. You know, or like, well, and there's so many more D one programs now that mm-hmm. are really not good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you, you're just like, it's, is, is that what you wanted to go do? Like mm. you wanted to go, oh, and like 40 this season. That yeah. feels good. Mm. That feels good. You're a D1 athlete, but you lost everything. Exactly. Or you're so, sitting on the bench for three years, four uh, years. Yeah. Like, so I think yeah. you got to really decide what you're about. Yeah. yeah. Well, Saul, if you're listening to this, maybe, uh, you know, <laughs> think about that. Um, so let's, let's plug away. Let's okay. let, I know you have a lot of things going on. You have your, like, I'm yes. just going to let you go for a second. Like, okay. tell us, tell us what's happening now and how okay. people can kind of get involved with what you got going on. Okay. So, uh, what I have going on right now is I am coaching a, uh, club beach volleyball coach with one, one beach. We, uh, train at millennium high school. That is a lot of, uh, fun, really good training hours there. And I love it. Rich and I both do that together 
absolutely trying to get to the foundation of these younger athletes, teaching them not only the fundamentals of sport, but also mindset and performance stuff that they can Mm -hmm. take with them. I'm a huge believer in mindset and performance coaching in younger athletes. My coaches never know. Like that's something we just didn't talk about. Like we never, no, no. It was was about winning or losing. Exactly. Exactly. You either did it and you won and that's awesome. Or you you messed up and you you stink. Like, you know, either you made the mistake and you were out like that was, it was a quick trigger with, with my high school athletics. So, well, and I think that does play into the mental health stuff that I'm so passionate about Mm. is if we can train these kids younger to say, Hey, yeah, it's not about winning and losing. I mean, we, we all want to win. Like that's bottom line. Hell yeah. Life is a competition. There is mm. stuff to be done. There are things to be won. There's money to be made. There's all that. That is real life. But there's also the performance side of just, you know, being able to use what you're good at and performing at a high level and, and getting that skill. So I want to teach those girls that. So part of that is I'm doing some mindset and performance uh, coaching workshops this summer in Southern California. Oh yeah. With my what about buddy. Being, uh, in good I know. Well, <laughs> you know what? No one's come knocking yet. So. Um, wink, wink. Yes. So, uh, uh, my, my buddy from grad school, his name is Joe. We had just been communicating back and forth. He kind of was a little bit of like my mentor during mm-hmm. my first few weeks of, for a few months of coaching college, we just bounced stuff off each other. Hey, what do I do with this? What do you do? Whatever. And so we ended up coming together to do these workshops in SoCal this summer. And then part of that is a, I'm actually writing it right now and working with Nicole Ooh, is a okay. mindset performance journal. Wow. That's yeah, for I, athletes, designed for athletes. I've definitely seen what you guys have got going on in there and I'm interested. Yes. So hopefully that's going to be all written and hopefully put together available in PDF by mid June. We'll see. It just depends on how long it takes to edit and go back and forth. That's dope. I don't think yeah. that's been done. Yeah. You got, it's not. I mean, there is some stuff out there, yeah. but I mean, I the think the more resources the better though, for when it comes to mental health, absolutely. Like, I'd rather have 10,000, yeah. 10,000 options and zero. Yeah. And again, I think the perspective from me, um, you know, the, the unique blend of, of athlete, um, slash crazy person, which we all are, <laughs> which we all are slash psychology degrees and Mother. having been having coached mom. I think there's yeah. a lot of different pieces that I, I pull from, uh, to, put into that. So yeah. I'm super stoked about that because I just see such a good, the aware, awareness is the biggest thing. If you can mm-hmm. be aware of what your processes are, you can own your practice, you can make good decisions. Like that's just going to change your game a hundred percent. Well, yeah. if you guys don't know, um, I actually do it like a PE class at the Montessori down, and it was called Montessori in the park. Yeah. And I coach Priscilla's, uh, um, both of her kids, uh, Joaquin and, and Lincoln. And let me just tell you, they're a little, they're a little athletes. Like oh, they, that's they, good to hear. <laughs> well, I, I see, like I see him move, like they move like good athletes. So yeah. like they're, they're good kids and they're really athletic. Um, how do you like, do you like, what have you kind of instilled in your kids? Like, what can you do now as a parent? Mm. Like, let's, yeah, let's get, get into that just a little bit. Like, okay. what can you do as a parent now? Cause we do have a lot of parents here at Fury. Like, what can we teach our kids now that will kind of like make them good athletes or a good mental, like how can we help kids mindset at an early age? That's what I'm trying to get at. Uh, I think the biggest thing when they're little and they're coming up is to really let them have fun with the experience. I think we need to not have these like shaming conversations in the parking lot. I hear them every single time I take my kid to the parking lot after baseball games. These just parents shaming their kids for having not hit or having not caught or having not whatever pitched well. Um, you hear this stuff in the stands. It's kind of crazy. So I think that's part of it. But I mean, it's just these open conversations. I mean, I've had so many things. Joaquin has been through every sport. He's loved everything. There was a time when he was going to be in the NFL. Like, okay, 
Um, and I just, he's like, well, I'm like, well, I want you to take piano lessons. He's like, well, you don't, you don't need piano in the NFL. <laughs> what a great like statement by a kid. Like, that child, seriously. Yeah, yeah, I know him pretty <laughs> the well. The statements and... that come out of this child. <laughs> but, you know, and even, even to the point of the other day, like, this is a really good example. I think I'd shared it with some of the people at the gym was he said, Hey mom, I don't want to wear my new cleats mm. to practice. And I said, well, why not? You bought them. He's like, well, I don't want, I don't want the other kids to think I'm privileged. And I said, well, too bad. Cause you are privileged. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got to own it. Yeah. You, you are privileged, buddy. Like you, not everybody can afford club sports. Mm. Not everybody can do this. Not everybody has the means that you have to do mm. this. And so, um, as a kid, that, that's the, your blessings are hard to see as a kid. It's hard. Yeah. But I think that it's just those, those conversations at night where we don't focus on whether he won or lost. We don't focus on how good he is. I don't ever talk about his talent. He's constantly trying to draw me into that. Am I good? Am I better than so? I'm like, well, it's really not, it's really not about the other person. Yeah. I did like you, that. Did you have a good practice? Mm. You know, what did you do? Well, what can you improve on? What are you going to do next time yeah. versus, uh, you know, beating him up over some one dumb little thing yeah. or talking about, yeah, well, you guys won. It was a voice of score, you know? Um, that's my baseball dad voice. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Man. I liked <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> well, what was the score? How'd you win? What yeah. You, yeah, whatever. So instead of it like drawing, <laughs> drawing into those conversations, it's really just a matter of just like st- trying to stay away from that. And mm. you know, I like that. I like that. I think uh, courage the, the process. Well, the the kids. What's worse than the kids these days are like the coaching parents. Like mm. those are they're a gnarly group of people. It's and amazing. They get worse. Like I think maybe they're living their second life yes. through their kids. They absolutely it, it, are. It gets not, it gets crazy to see like some of these crazy parents. Yeah. Like I've seen more fights at like when I was coming up playing like a basketball, some more fights between the parents and the kids. Mm-hmm. Like they're in the, they're in the crowd and they're yelling and you're like yelling at kids. Like, yeah. like it's so weird. It's, it, it's, it's a hard thing to watch. And, well, and that's like Rich and I have had our own experiences mm. as athletes. So I, I don't feel any need to put anything on them yeah. ever. Well, like you've, I don't seen, have you've seen a lot. Yep. You've gone through that. So yep. I feel like that's important too. So, mm-hmm. all right, Priscilla, where can people like follow you or where can people like get information about what you got going on? Um, I am like private on all of my social media. Oh, so you can't <laughs> follow Priscilla unless she knows no. you. Uh, I, I, Twitter is open. Okay. I mean, some okay. people still do Twitter. Oh, well. So <laughs> at PY Tallman. Well, that's big in your world. Twitter it is. is big and it is. collegiate. Yeah, level. it is. It absolutely my favorite platform to quote unquote watch sports. Mm. Like I can be watching like you can get a play by play off Twitter. Yeah. Well, sometimes like if your internet or like the, the, whatever the live stream spotty, you can always follow it on Twitter. It's mm. everything's play by play. And then the other thing I love about Twitter is the comments. Like if you're watching the Super Bowl, it's the best. It's oh, so yeah. much commentary. You can't do <laughs> yeah. that on Instagram. Like it's just not there. It's no, just the no, best no. thing ever. Play by play. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> All right. So, so <laughs> you're on Twitter. Maybe you're on other platforms, but you have to get approved. I'm, no, I'm on Facebook. <laughs> okay. um, Priscilla Pacheco Tallman. Okay. And I'm on Instagram, um, but it is private. I will. I, I mean, I guess Priscilla's allowed me to follow her and she puts out a lot of good information about, she has a piece called Mindset Monday, which I watch yes. all the time, by the way, if you're winning, Yay. I watch at least. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been really cool for me. And like, I, I we kind of have this, like, I, I like, I like the relationship we have because we can talk about this kind of stuff and where's our mindset and like, what can we do to get better? Like, how do you view success? Like me and Priscilla's had some good conversations that maybe we should bring you back and we could maybe have another conversation. <laughs> we'll about have to, yeah. We'll have to have that, that next two. conversation. <laughs> yeah. Part two. Um, we usually always end these with like, if you can, like you want to end on a good, like saying or a quote or something like, what do you want to leave people with? Um, I would like to leave. <laughs> it could be people, anything. It could be people. super. Uh, you know, I hear the, I like, I love podcasts. So I hear yeah. the people on Oprah do them. I'm like, 
How'd they come up with that? Yeah. Like, it's so, so deep easy. And By the way, Oprah Winfrey's podcast is probably one of my favorite. Soul, what is it? Soul, soul. Super soul Super conversations. Soul, yeah. So, so good. good. Um, oh, I liked this. I saw this today from Adam Grant. I would say that you don't necessarily have to practice what you preach. Oh. If you only preach what you practice. And I love that. That is so me. Like I would be so frustrated in jobs that I didn't care about the product. Mm. I would be so frustrated to sell anything because I was in sales for a little bit. And I, if I don't love it, I won't be near it. Mm. So I, I, I am only attached to coaching because I love it. I practice it. Yeah. I, I, I get in the gym. I do the things my athletes are doing because I want to know what that feels so like. So you only align your things like with our inter- your internal values. Like, I will only teach. Yeah, you can't act. I will no only acting. teach what I practice because, exactly. or preach because. That's all you yeah, got. That's all you got. I, I like and, that, and I, Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, good. We want to thank you, Priscilla, for being on the Forging Fury Absolutely. podcast. For Michael, who is not here dealing with some, some children crisis, like he had a sick baby. So I've, this is my first solo voyage. I, I loved it. Thank you for coming. We appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Thanks for listening, guys. This is the Forging Fury podcast. So help us reach more people. We need your help. Give us a five-star review. We want to talk to your mom's friends, your friend's moms, and your grandma. So give us a five-star, write a review. We're trying to get to more people. Love you, mean it.